Welcome to Doggy Dish, where two of LA's best dog trainers serve up a hearty helping of dog topics. At the end of this podcast, we'll provide information on how to contact our trainers. And now, here they are. Hello and welcome to our next podcast. This is Laura Burhenny from Animal Attraction Unlimited. And I'm Kim Reinhart with Ain't Misbehaving Canine. Today we're going to talk about pairing. And I don't mean like with a knife and a little pear. Or hooking your dog up with another dog. Oh, yeah. That would be pairing, too. Oh, yes. I didn't think about that. (laughs) What we're talking about with pairing is when you take something that is inherently meaningless to your dog and pair it up with something that has a high value for your dog to teach the dog that the meaningless thing, to give the meaningless thing now meaning. A a meaning, yeah. so an example of that would be that you would pair up food, which has inherent um, value. Thank you to your dog. Well, you look like you're stumbling, <laughs> I so am. I thought I'd help you. Go, Laura. Tell well, No, no, I agree. I am right. stumbling. Go. <laughs> no, I wasn't being, I wasn't being offensive. Go, please. No. <laughs> yeah, so so in order for something, uh, there, there are certain things that have intrinsic value to a dog, and those are the things that we can use for training, to motivate a dog for training. But what we can do is we can make other things have value by pairing it with something that intrinsically has value. Right. Got that? Yeah. <laughs> I know what it means. I'm just having a hard time saying Stumbling it. Stumbling the words out. Yes. So in a case where, let's say, a, you have a dog that you've had a really hard time finding what motivates your dog, and you finally find something that motivates them. I think there was a pause cast at one time that we did um, where Laura talked about a dog that the only thing that really motivated him was to be able to go over and lift his leg on a bush. Yes. Now, obviously, um, although she used that as a motivational technique, you don't really really be stuck with that forever. Yeah, that's a little difficult to use. You know, you're in a store, you ask your dog to sit. <laughs> you go to the pet store, you ask your dog to sit, he sits, you, yay, good boy, and you run him over to a display. <laughs> I don't think yeah. they're going to ask you back. Yeah. In all honesty, that one just bothers me anyway. I would want to get away from that as quick as I right. could. But, but if you if you recall, I mean, I said that then I used that to get the dog to take food, which was right. not, had no intrinsic value for this dog, and to play with a toy. So you used pairing. This right. is an, a, a place where you use pairing. Uh, the most common way to pair things is with food. Mm-hmm. Because the most motivational, the, the most reliable motivational tool with most dogs, not all dogs, but with most dogs, is food. Right. So the most and it's fast. Right. You can get a lot of repetitions in, you know, because if the food is small treats that are soft, the dog's going to chew it quickly and you can move on to the next repetition. So the most, so the most common time that you're going to pair things is pairing things with food. Because food, if you start with food and you start by teaching a dog to be motivated by food, then you want to start pairing it with, with something like, well, with me, I always pair it with praise and attention to try to up the level of my praise and attention, which I eventually want to just get to be able to use most of the time. Right. So I want to be able to throw food in there at the last minute. So talk a little bit about pairing, how you start to pair. Well, usually what I'll do is I'll decide what I want the dog to work for. Well, we're talking about pairing. First you have for to determine what the dog will work for. Right, right. So I have to I have to figure out what the dog will work for, what Let's the dog is food. telling me he wants. Okay, so for example, I was working with somebody not too long ago, and I met her outside of a park. We get there, and she has her dog in the car, and she pulls out cooked chicken, and then these kind of treats, and those kind of treats, and a a rope, and this here, and she says to me, 
what should I bring? Because we were working on the dog's recalls. What should I bring? And I said, don't ask me. Ask your dog. Right. Right. I'm not going to determine what your dog wants to play with. What your what is valuable to your dog? That's oh, I could say oh, that that little you know that fake rabbit skin looks, looks really fun. good. That's good. I'll, I would play with that. Or my dogs would really love that. Yeah, my my dogs would like that. So every dog should love that. So we pulled her dog out, and guess what? Her dog didn't want any of them. Oh, this is back to the dog that that had to go on the bush. No, no, no. This oh, is di- okay. totally different dog. Oh, okay. totally different dog. But I think. The problem, the problem with this particular dog was that she had been using very, very high-value stuff in a very low-distraction area. Okay. Like her home. So okay. she was using cooked chicken in her home for just sitting at the door. Okay. And so what did you find that motivated him? Uh, nothing. No. Oh. <laughs> oh, and so you no, sent we, that dog home untrained. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, what what we found motivated him um, eventually. I mean, this this was a particularly hard, difficult se- section section session training session because he was one of those dogs that didn't like to make eye contact with her. It was a lot of avoidance behavior. He had mm-hmm. been doing very little work for a whole lot of praise and and reward in the past in very non-distracting environments. And so when we get to a distracting environment, there was nothing or very little she could do to get this dog's attention. Okay, so this is one we'll cover in motivation. Yeah, effectiveness. exactly. Let's talk so about pairing. Let's go back to pairing. Okay, okay. sorry. Kind of got off track there. <laughs> sorry. Mm, how unusual is that? Um, <laughs> okay, let me reel you in. <laughs> Okay, so pairing. So pairing, so like let's say I have a dog that tells me he wants a fuzzy toy. Like, okay, he doesn't, he's so-so about food but really, really likes a toy. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pet him and then let him play with the toy or play a game of tug. And then I'm going to, then I can pet him and play a game of tug or pet him and play a game of tug so that pretty soon he looks forward to the petting and then playing a game of tug. Here's an even better example. See, while I'm thinking of that, I think of a better <laughs> example. Um, let's say roll with it, I girl. want a dog. <laughs> let's say I want a dog to touch my hand with his nose. Okay. Okay? And I have a really good piece of food in this hand. In your opposite hand. In my opposite hand, yes. Okay. Thank you for saying that. Because I can see your hand. Uh, yes, you can see. I am, I am <laughs> demonstrating. We're recording these. Yes, I, I forget. This is, this is not visual. <laughs> okay. So... If I want the dog to touch my hand, which is a touch, touch of your palm is a really good behavior to have, like especially on fearful dogs or dogs that get really hyped up when you're out in distracting environments, you can have them touch your hand and it can become a game for the dog. So anyway, so I want the dog to touch my hand. So if I hold a really valuable food treat here, right in in the opposite hand, right in front of the dog, and he tries to take the food, I'm going to remove my palm so he can't touch my palm. Okay. And then if he tries to get the food out of the other hand, I'm just going to leave it there and let him extinguish that behavior to teach him that doesn't work. Trying to trying to just take the food out of my hand doesn't work. You have to do something else. You won't release it. Right, I won't release okay. it. Right. So then as soon as he backs off and stops trying to get the food, I'm going to present my hand again. Mm-hmm. And what the dog usually does is as soon as I present my hand, that movement is going to draw the dog's attention to this hand. And as soon as he even glances at that hand, I'm going to say yes, and then I'm going to release the food from the other hand. Okay. And then do it again. And pretty soon I'm going to start to require the dog to actually touch this hand. And it, and as a dog gets this, the more valuable you make the food in the food hand, the harder the dog will touch the palm hand. 
it's like, gosh darn it, that you know that little bit of frustration will build up, and the dog will really touch your palm pretty quickly, and then you can start using, because now you've I've paired this with food, now I can start using a palm touch as a reward for anything else. I can do sit, and he sits, and I go, yay, and I can hold out my hand, and he can touch my palm. Mm-hmm. I have never used that. <laughs> really? No. I use a palm touch, actually, to, um, it's interesting. I mm-hmm. mean, I, but I use a palm touch um, to get a dog to come in, a dog doing a recall that okay. is hesitant, doesn't want to come all the way in. Sometimes okay. you have dogs that are doing a recall. They'll come in, but they don't want to come in too close. This happens with people who grasp at dogs. Right. They will typically back off when they get too close, and I'll teach them a, a palm touch. When I do pairing, it's usually to get the dog from working with either a toy or or food to being motivated by voice praise mm-hmm. or by petting. Right. That's the most common way that I use pairing. Uh, you're right. There's a million ways that you can use pairing. So right. that was another good example. It's right. just that the most common way, I think, is to get them away from food or toys. And the reason for that is that people don't, most people don't want to be dependent on food. Having a treat in their pocket. Ap- having a treat or having a toy on hand. Mm-hmm. A lot of people who do competitive sports with dogs will always have that food and they'll always have that toy and they do that on purpose because they want to keep a high level of motivation but clients are are frequently hesitant stingy (laughs) i'm sorry but i mean sometimes but i think that it's it's out of fear i think it comes from a fear of having to have that that dependency all the time because they think that it through their normal life they're afraid that they're going to come to a place where the dog needs the food to as a reward in order to do the behavior and so they're afraid that if they don't have the food they can't get the behavior when they need it right so a lot of times with those people i will work very hard right from the beginning to pair any kind of reward that i'm using a typically high value food reward with petting and praise right so very soon in, in exactly the way that you said which is the dog comes in yay good boy pet right. him and then give him the cookie yay good boy pet him and then give him a cookie and pretty soon that petting and and that praise even though it maybe it wasn't that motivational to begin with maybe right. in the beginning they didn't really care your dog is kicking the door i think he's having a dream <laughs> <laughs> now my dog is getting nervous anyway um I, very quickly they decide that the or very quickly over time they decide that um, the petting and praise is synonymous with a cookie it becomes valuable but there are, are countless ways that you can use this yeah in marine mammal training i mean you've been to a whale show mm-hmm. they a lot of times will scratch the whale's tongue as a reward for doing a behavior or they'll spray the, the whale in the face or in the mouth with a spray bottle of water do you think that's intrinsically rewarding for the whale no Right. It's not. I wouldn't know because I don't know no. whales well enough, well, but right. I believe you. And it's not, except from what I understand, beluga whales really like to have their, <laughs> have their tongues st- scratched. But in the, you know, for the most part, they don't. So right. they want to be able to use something other than food. And it makes sense because, I mean, even dolphins doing open water work out in the ocean, okay, they go and they do their work. They come back, and you give them a fish. Where have they, where's they just been? Right. Right, they're swimming out there in an o- in an ocean full of fish. Right. So how is that? Right. So they need to. So they're coming back for something else. There's another reason they're coming back. Okay. So when when you start to teach a dog, a, when you start to pair something, mm-hmm. the first thing you do is figure out what it is that is rewarding to the dog. Right. Then you start introducing this new thing that you want to pair it with. 
Right. But the way that you go about that is always in a certain in a, in certain, a certain order. Yes. Right. Okay. It's like it's it's called classical conditioning. Pavlov's dog. Right. The bell rings. The dog salivates. Yeah, okay. got it. Right. Okay. <laughs> so I'm sorry. You're looking at me like. So and the way that happens is there was the bell. And then they fed the dog, and then there was the bell, and then they fed the dog, and then there was the bell, and then they fed, fed the dog, and pretty soon what happened was there was the bell, and the dog started salivating before they even presented the food. Right. So the bell came to equal food for that animal, right. and that's how we do pairing, and that's why we, we do it, so that we can use something else in replace of food or a toy or whatever. Like for a lot of dogs, it is a petting, or it is a smile on my face. Like my dog Petey loves to retrieve. Oh, was he a retriever when I first got him? I don't remember. I really don't remember. But guess what? He is now. Right. He is now because when he brings it back, I make a party. I pet him. I have a smile on my face. We have a whole lot of fun. We play a good game of tug-of-war. And then I make him do something, and then I throw the toy again. I don't think he was a retriever. He's a bull terrier. I don't think he was a retriever. Right. I really don't. Right. But he came to enjoy it because it meant a lot of good interaction, a lot of good things happening for him. Right. Right. Well, you know, the reason I think that it's important to cover the topic of pairing is because one of the principal complaints, there, there is kind of a, a disagreement among trainers. There are trainers that use positive motion, motivational techniques where they use food or, or toys or a payment of some sort in order to motivate the dog to get them to do a behavior. And then there is another kind of training there's a lot of what I would consider to be punitive training where the motivation for the dog is to avoid getting a correction. Right. And trainers who work with a correction, I was just recently looking at a website for somebody in Canada that, that does correction, lots of correction training. It really bothered me. But anyway, and there were some people on this website that were complaining about the way that he worked and saying you could get the same behaviors with a, with a cookie. And the people who follow this particular trainer were saying, yes, but, you know, then you have to have food on you all the time, and then what happens when you don't have food? Then it's a big disappointment for the dog. Right. And the problem there is an inherent misunderstanding about the way that you use food. They don't understand the power of pairing. Right. They call it bribery. And if it done correctly, it's not bribery. It's reinforcement. Well, and they don't understand that... Pairing is what makes you not need to use the food anymore. It right. is not that when you take the food away, it suddenly becomes disappointing to the dog. You've built in that desire for whatever it is that you've paired the food with or you've paired that intrinsic motivator with. Right. And if you have paired the food or whatever the, or the toy, the, whatever. The, the, whatever the dog, the intrinsic thing for the dog is, if you've paired that with multiple things, then you have multiple things in your bag of tricks to be able to reward the dog with. Sometimes it could be a toy. Sometimes it can be a pet. Sometimes it could be a smile. Sometimes it could be a game of tug or a game of chase or hide and seek or whatever. Or good boy. Something. Yeah. Anything. anything. Yes. And and so that way you don't just have one thing that then the dog can decide, you know what, you always only give me that one thing. Well, and, and maybe more important, there is no disappointment. I think this is one of the things, this is one of the reasons that I wanted to, to deal with this topic is because I was one of these people. I mean, there was a time when I used corrective techniques, and I think that I, one of my complaints about food was, well, what happens when you don't have any food? I didn't understand pairing. Yeah. I didn't understand that the ultimate 
goal of training with food or toys or any other motivational tool is to be able to build in other motivational tools so that you always have something available to you. Something to motivate the dog that the dog feels strongly motivated by. And you do that by pairing and training with that pairing in order to teach that. So if you don't use these techniques, if you don't use a lot of pairing, what happens, and I'll tell you, I mean, I know this for a fact, I know this from my own experience, what happens is that you have to become much more punitive in your training. Right. If you don't start out with something with a high intrinsic value and then work down, not down, because what you do is you don't bring your motivator down. You actually bring other motivators up to the level that the intrinsic one has. Right. So when you don't do that, what happens is in order to make whatever it is that you're using to motivate the dog that doesn't maybe have a lot of intrinsic value to begin with, in order to make that stronger, what you have to do is be very punitive on the other end. Now, I am a trainer who still uses corrections in inappropriate times. There is a cause and effect to training for me, and there are times when a dog needs some type of consequence Mm-hmm. to something that they've learned, that they we've practiced, that they know inside and out, and that they, they just openly decide not to do. So it's not that I don't... There are situations where I would still use corrections. However, they don't reach the punitive level, that aggressive, that, punitive, right. uncomfortable level that I didn't like and that my dog didn't like. Yeah. And that my dog was afraid of, mm-hmm. frankly, because they are, and anyone who tells you that they aren't, and I used to be one of these, okay, so I'm confessing big time, I used to be one of these that said my dog wasn't afraid. Yes, my dog was afraid. Of course he was afraid. Of course he didn't want a, that consequence. Still, if I give a consequence to my dog, they don't want the consequence. They're less afraid because it's not as as aggressive mm-hmm. or punitive, but still there is a consequence. But what happens is if you don't understand pairing, then you don't know how to work away th- from the food, and if you don't know how to work away from from the food or whatever is primarily the movi- motivator, then what happens is you are either stuck having that on hand at all times, right. which is very impractical, or you you must make not doing what you're trying to get them to do. You must make the vot- motivator moving away from something negative. Okay, let's say that again. Okay, so if pairing is valuable because you actually bring a bunch of things up to the same level as what was intrinsically motivating to the dog. Right. Positively motivating. Right. In the absence of that, you either have to have whatever that single thing is that was intrinsically motivating to the dog that is a very high value. Right. You are either stuck having that with you all the time or you are stuck using things that are of lower value to the dog and having to balance it against moving away from a correction. Being more punitive. Right. Yes, exactly. So... That's what I hope people get out of this, is that pairing helps you move away from whatever it is you're worried about being dependent on. Right. It helps you use other things. I mean, so many other things. You can take something that has no, absolutely no intrinsic value to a dog whatsoever and being able to use it. I mean, there are plenty of people who, like, let's say they play tug-of-war with their, with their baseball cap, right? And let's say they run agility with their dog and you're not allowed to have food or, or toys in the ring with your dog mm-hmm. because those are things that are motivators that are going to keep your dog going. But if you're wearing a baseball cap and you have trained the dog that, guess what? We play tug-of-war sometimes with my baseball cap. You can't get nailed for wearing a baseball cap in the ring. Right. 
right. you know, and so you are technically running with something that is a reward to the dog. So you're running agility with it, but it's something that you've taught. Woohoo! Look at this. I can play. You know, I can take this off at any time and play with you. Right. And so that's that's something that can be a really powerful tool because then you do always have something on you. Right. Pairing keeps you from being tied to one thing. See, and it I was thinking dependent. Dependent. Well, hey, dependent. see how good? Yeah, tied or dependent on any one thing. Right. It, it is a it's a way to to add variety, which a dog loves. Open yourself up. Yeah. Right. And open your training up and open your open the the situation up to almost an unending variety. Yeah. There's yeah. almost no end. You can choose you anything. Correctly. You can pick up anything and make it valuable to the dog. Right. And then what happens is that once you start teaching a dog whatever I pick up, I'm going to teach you to like, then anything you pick up, pretty much you can get the dog to play with. Right. You can get to be instantly important to the dog because you've chosen it. You've said, look, this is important. Right. I've made this important. I've made this important. I've made this important. Look, now I have something new. Guess what? It's going to be important too. Right. Well, my, my biggest thing is, as I said, I pair with, with praise because I always have that. Right. I always have my enthusiasm on hand. Right. I can always tell the dog, you're a good dog. I can always pet the dog. I can always make, I can always clap my hands. I can always make a big deal out of right. the dog. And by pairing that cleverly, well, cleverly, <laughs> that's such a nice <laughs> word. Well, I'm not sure I got it right the first time. But anyway, by, by pairing it correctly, I now have something on hand that I can use with my dogs at all times. So, right. so when I take my dogs out and I and I have them in the park and I'm doing whatever, playing ball or just walking them, and I call them and they come back to me and I say, "Good dog." I'm not. I'm disinclined to have a lot of food with right. my older, more conditioned dogs. In fact, a lot of times I have nothing because I don't need it. And right. anybody watching would think that those dogs are working solely for the praise, and they are. But that's not where but we started. But they wouldn't originally. That's exactly. not where we started. That's exactly. Definitely not where so, we so you're telling me they have no desire to please? Dogs don't have a desire to please. Thank that's you. That's the truth. Dogs Thank don't you. have a desire. They don't. They have a desire to please themselves, just like the rest of us. Yeah. They, they walk around going, what's in it for me? Just like the rest of us. Right. And so there are a few dogs out there that their intrinsic value li- lays in you telling them they're a good dog. There right. are dogs that would work just for praise. Right, but would they do? Would they come? Would you be able to call them off of a squirrel for praise? There are dogs. No, but there are dogs. There are. I have met dogs that were so. They're usually dogs that are not very confident. They have a really, really, really yeah. uh, strong connection to the owner that is out of need. Right. And and a lot of times out of lack of confidence. Mm-hmm. And so that particular dog might work for praise. But it's it's unrealistic to think that most dogs Every do, do right. that. And if you thought that your dog should have a desire to please, and he doesn't, your dog is not broken. Yeah. I mean, because a lot of people think there's something wrong with their dog because their dog won't work for them, you know, for, for a pat on the head. Yeah. We've talked about this before. Yeah. And it's, it's a mistake to think that just because your dog doesn't have a desire to please, something's wrong with them. None of them do. Absolutely right. none of them do. The dog that comes back simply for praise, it's because the praise pleases him. Right. For whatever the reason, and like I said, normally that comes from an inco- a dog that's not terribly confident, right. that doesn't really have a, a strong sense of independence, that doesn't really want to be away from you. There are dogs that don't want to be a- away from their people. Yeah, absolutely. And they're no more right than dogs who are confident and don't mind going out. They're just right. different. It's yeah. just a different thing. So I think I think we've covered pairing. I think we have. And hopefully have. it's it's given people an idea of why to do it and an, and a way to do it 
that will make them realize they do not need to be dependent on one single thing to motivate their dog. And it's better if you're not. Yes, absolutely. It's much better to be unpredictable and fun. All right. Well, thank you for joining us. This is Laura Berheny from Animal Attraction Unlimited. And I'm Kim Reinhart from Ape Misbehaving Canine. Thank you very much. You have been listening to Doggy Dish, a podcast series about dog training and other related issues. To suggest a topic for a future segment, please email us at dogdishtopics at yahoo.com. To learn more about our featured trainers, or if you're interested in training for your own dog and you live in the Los Angeles area, you may contact Laura or Kim directly. To speak with Laura, call 818-800-4818 or visit her website at www.petdogtrainer.com. To speak with Kim, call 818-890-1133 or visit her website at www.beagooddog.com. Thank you for listening.